You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 97. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's good, Blazer Nation? I'm hoping y'all didn't eat too much last week for Thanksgiving. I know after a good four-day weekend, you're ready for today's mission field, right? So as you guys know, our partnering sponsor is a campaign for Black Male Achievement. And if there's an organization that I feel committed to and I'm prepared to stand behind 100%, it's CBME. I love their mission and I love the vision of their leader. And now the Trailblazers podcast, all-time number one most downloaded episode, episode number 16's guest, Mr. Sean Dove himself. Listen, it's my hope, my plan, and my prayer to keep them as our sole partnering sponsor on this podcast journey that I'm on with you guys. And so earlier this year, Chanel Hampton, one of our recently featured guests, reach out about a new fellowship that CBMA was launching called Building Beloved Community Leadership Fellowship. CBMA selected 24 emerging leaders from their Promise of Play cities, which include Baltimore, Detroit, Louisville, Milwaukee, and Oakland, and also added Greensboro, North Carolina, where the fellowship gathering actually took place this past June. And so I worked together with Janet, Whitney, and Lucia over at CBMA, and we decided on doing a featured episode to go ahead and up lift some of the fellows from the program. This was the first of its kind for me, but I really enjoyed it. I definitely will be inviting future classes of the fellowship to a discussion on different topics. And I can honestly say that this interview pushed me quite a bit. And I think part of it is that I don't do panel calls very often. And the only other one that I did was the Hidden Figures episode, I believe episode 57. But taking it all in, right? I wouldn't change I think It came together and I really enjoyed the variety in the personalities and the perspectives that we had in this conversation. So I'd love to introduce our guest for today. I'm speaking with Rhonda Alexander, Brandon Bailey, and Ashanti Branch. Rhonda is the Director of Corporate and Community Alignment on the College and Career Pathways team at the United Way for Southeastern Michigan. Brandon is the Youth Engagement and Communications Liaison for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. And Ashanti is the Founder and Executive Director of Ever Forward Siempre Adelante. I'll post their full bios over on our show notes page at tbpod.com. And I invite you to read about each of them and connect with them, whether directly or through social media. I also welcome your thoughts on this panel call. I don't do them quite often as I shared a minute ago. And I'd love to hear what you enjoyed most about this type of a conversation. Go ahead and tweet us up or hit me up on the gram. You can find me at tbpod, at Steve Nehart on both Twitter and on IG, on Instagram. That said, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive in and absorb some mission fuel from our young trailblazers, Rhonda Alexander, Brandon Bailey, and Ashanti Branch. Enjoy. Ashanti Branch, Rhonda Alexander, and Brandon Bailey. Welcome to the podcast, guys. And lady. Hello, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having us. 
Thank you for having me. So as I shared in the intro just a second ago, Ashanti, Rhonda, and Brandon are three of 24 fellows that are taking part in the Building Beloved Community Leadership Fellowship, which is a year-long fellowship created by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement with support from the Center for Creative Leadership and the Beloved Community Center. So guys, I thought to get things started I wanted to ask each of you to take a couple of minutes and introduce yourselves by name and share why it's important to you to be part of this fellowship, uh, what you're most grateful to have experienced or learned since the program got started back in June. Maybe let's start with Ashanti. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I'm Ashanti Branch. I am the founder of Ever Forward Siempre Adelante, which is a mentoring program for young men in middle school and high school. I started the program as a first-year teacher back in 2004, but I was just a teacher doing this program at school. Mm-hmm. And so as the program began to grow, I was trying to learn how to lead an organization that was kind of a dream in my heart, but I didn't go to business school. I didn't know how to start businesses. People in my family weren't like entrepreneurs in that sense. So I was like making up a lot of things. The fellowship has been an incredible opportunity for me to meet other leaders around the country who I and otherwise, would have I don't think I would have ever met because they were in their communities doing great work. But I think sometimes it feels like you're out there running alone sometimes. Mm. So what is what it's done for me in the biggest way is just meeting. You know, sometimes I'll send a question out to the fellows and I'll get like seven answers. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, it's just sometimes amazing that people you, you can ask for help and that help comes, you know. And I think I grew up not having a lot of help. So I. I learned to do everything by myself or as best I could by myself. And so I just really enjoyed having people who are also leaders in their own world, in their own communities, and being able to learn from them. Right, right. Rondo, let's hear from you. Yeah, so my name is Rhonda Alexander. I am the Director of Corporate and Community Alignment at the United Way for Southeastern Michigan in Detroit. And this fellowship has been amazing to me. Sometimes... I just remember throughout the first couple of days we were together, I kept thinking, how am I in this room with all of these amazing people doing amazing work for young Black men? And I think one of the things that was most powerful for me was the time we spent at the Center for Creative Leadership. I just felt like I learned so much more about myself as a leader and what that means. And I was relatively new to United Way at that time and just starting to take on managing a team. So it was a really, a really eye-opening and sort of eye-opening and reflective time for me. And I love learning from these folks there. It's just an amazing group. I feel like I have family now all over the country. Nice. Nice. Brandon. Hey, everybody. So... I am Brandon Bailey in Louisville, Kentucky. I serve in the Mayor Fisher administration. And it's a pleasure and an honor to serve my city every day. I work in our office for safe and healthy neighborhoods, which is exactly what it sounds like. The office is in place to help reduce community-wide violence. And I lead our work around youth engagement and communications. And the fellowship to me has been a blessing. You know, while we were in Carolina, able to hear each other's war stories mm-hmm. in the struggle and in the work and hear our inspiration as to why we got into the work in the first place. There was some kindred wavelength that the group was on very organically. You know, a lot of us didn't know each other before we came down there. And so for me, that was a blessing. 
to know that, you know, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm not the only one who feel the way I feel about how things are operated on a daily basis, you know, in our journey to make a better future for our young black men and boys. And I'm really appreciative of the opportunity and the time we all had together. So, yeah, it's been a blessing to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So each of you are leaders in your respective communities. And I love the fact that for everyone listening, Ashanti's in Oakland, Rhonda's in Detroit, and Brandon is in Louisville. And so, again, each of your leaders in your respective communities. And I know the program, right, that you're a part of with this fellowship is geared to helping you guys become even better leaders. So I was thinking about that and wanted to ask each of you, and this question is specifically for Ashanti, why do you love leading and teaching young men and boys? Well, I think for me, the reason I really love like help teaching and leading young men and boys, especially in our community, is that I wanted it when I was growing yeah. up. And I grew up raised by a single mother. And I was always hearing messages from the people in my community about what it meant to be a man. But most of them, they didn't feel good. To right. me. Like the things I, things I was told to do, the behaviors I was told to act like, I was like, that don't sound right. But without any other messages or any other training, I didn't know any, you know, sometimes I made some bad choices based on that bad advice. And so I wanted it growing up and I didn't, I didn't know to ask for it. I didn't even know where to look for it. It just wasn't there. And so when I decided to become a teacher, I realized that something that I was able to do was to give them at least some tools that I'd never got. Mm. And I hope that I could offer them some ways of seeing the world that was way bigger than Oakland, that was bigger than California, that was bigger than the United States, because I had the opportunity to go out and, and see a bigger world. And so that's why it means so much to me. And, and another thing, another reason, is because I still live in Oakland and I hear young people dying every day and killing each other and all these behaviors that, that I just wish that there was some more answers and solutions to yeah. So I feel like my job is to do the best I can. Mm. Rhonda, tell me something that you've learned about your own leadership style on your journey. One of the things that I've learned that stood out the most to me was about my style of change and how I approach change. Mm. And I can't remember the three groups, but one was really focused on the sort of nitty gritty details when it came to change and needed to understand all of those things. One group was really pragmatic and then the other group was just extreme radical change. And I found that so interesting that I was so far on that spectrum <laughs> and only one other person was further than me. And he's the artist in the group. So, but the more I started to reflect on that and think about that, I don't necessarily like slow change and I'm ready. You know, when I find a change, I'm ready to just jump right into it and not always thinking about the implications that it has, but really just ready to jump in. And as a leader, you have to think differently about that. And so it's yeah. really eye-opening to become aware of that and yeah. think about, you know, I'm managing this team and what do they need and what are their styles of change? And how can I be mindful of that? And, you know, not upset or frustrated when people are like, I don't get it. And I need to know these three or four or five things and cross all the T's and dot all the I's. And I'm like, well, can't we just do it? So it's really eye opening for me. Nice. Brandon, what's the most important habits, right? That you're learning to develop as you're working to become a more impactful leader. The most important habits that I'm learning to develop, definitely 
not necessarily anything new, but I believe, you know, you sharpen the tools that you have and then the ones that you add to your toolbox, you do right by those tools that you're taught and you sharpen those as well. But learning to speak to who's in the room in the language and tone and manner that they'll understand and knowing that that's going to be different in every room. So, and when I say that, I mean, keeping it real, that's what I'm saying in short. And, you know, I'm in a lot of different spaces. I'm 29. I got two feet of dreadlocks hanging off my head. (laughs) And so, you know, when I show up in spaces, you know, with kids and youth and young adults, when they hear, you know, Brandon Bailey from the mayor's office, they thinking, I got literally a kid said to me today, I thought you was going to be a white man. Wow. Mm. You know what I'm saying? At, a, at an alternative school, at a behavior school. So you're showing and, a positive uh, image of what they right, Yeah. Right. But, you know, more than that, you know, reflecting who I am and who it is that I'm ultimately here for. My personal mission is to make a better Louisville, a better America for black men and boys, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm in spaces that the little homies cannot get into because they're at a behavior school, I'm advocating for them. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And when I'm in the mayor's office and we having a one-on-one moment, you know, I'm letting him know, here's the consensus around a particular topic. Mm-hmm. And then I can go back and forth. So, you know, some people call it code switching, I guess. But, you know, just keeping it real with who's in the room and being able to do that, even when it's multiple different backgrounds represented in the room. Sometimes I have to say things a couple of times over to make sure I hit everybody. Right. So we're all on the same accord. So that's, you know, what I'm constantly developing. Love it. Love it. So let's switch gears. Let's chat for a little bit about the public service work that each of you are currently leading that helps you to get to this point. Yeah, this is Rhonda. Well, I can talk about the work that we're doing at United Way for Southeastern Michigan. So my role as the director of corporate and community alignment is really about how do I help connect community, business, and industry to education? So how do I help students and teachers see the connection between what's happening in the classroom and what's happening in the real world and the li- and helping students begin to envision the lives they want and exposing them to what it takes to get to those lives and exposing them to the opportunities and the options that are out there. And I know that, I mean, that's public service. I mean, it's education, but it's also public service because Mm -hmm. the high school students that we work with, this is the next generation. These are the folks who are going to be leading our community and helping them find their voice and helping them understand what it means to be a productive citizen and helping them to not only understand their voice, but how to engage in a way that does not diminish who they are, but really celebrates their strengths. That's really exciting. That's probably the most exciting part of this work for me. Mm, Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Rhonda, uh, for that. And I think one of the things that I've been doing, this is Ashanti here in Oakland. We have the mentoring program for young men, middle school and high school. And then we have this public global campaign that we launched called the 100,000 Mask Challenge. And the goal for the 100,000 Masks Challenge is to really explore and give people opportunity to explore the masks that we wear around the world, right? Yeah. So the mask is a metaphor representing what I let the world see about me. And then they explore what is the things I don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And what we show these masks to young people and to adults and to community from all over the world, they're able to see that like they're not the only one. They're not the only one feeling maybe some feelings of loneliness or left out or 
or anxiety or stress. Like the words that come up are so amazingly interesting. And it's even more powerful when you can show someone who may have thought because what they saw on their Facebook is that everyone is perfect and everyone is great. And they may have saw it on their Instagram and their social media that no one else has problems. They can easily begin to believe that they're the only one. This campaign has been, we've been launching this campaign to really provide this platform for people to kind of show and look and see that we all got something going on. And the more that we can support each other in deeper ways and build deeper connections and deeper relationships, I think those are ways that we can have a bigger impact in the world. So that's the current campaign that we're working Mm -hmm. on, in addition to our work with teachers and students. How can people learn a little bit more about that 100,000 mass challenge? Yeah. So the website is www.everforwardclub.org slash 100k masks. And we have a page on Instagram and Twitter. We're out there. So, and they can go in and educators can sign up to get the curriculum and we'll mail them cards. So it's really where we're trying to engage people all over and we're hoping to create a digital version soon for places where they can't print things out as easily or they don't have access to that. But that's the campaign that we're pushing forward right now. I love that. Brandon, anything to add? So at the mayor's office for safe and healthy neighborhoods, like I said earlier, I serve as our youth engagement and communications liaison. And a lot of my work is out in the community. I loathe being at a desk. I rather I view the city as my office. Yes. So whether I'm in a high school or middle school or reading to some little ones in a barbershop, canvassing, getting a message out about an event that's upcoming that my office is doing or something that we're co-hosting or I'm just helping out another organization such as Louisville Urban League or Metro United Way, you know, get the word out about something that they're doing for the community. What I love is the real life conversations that will happen while I'm out and about when someone can ask me, you know, a direct question, what's up with X, Y, Z, since you work in the mayor's office and you, and you know how we do when we know we talking to a fellow black person, you know, that conversation is a little bit different. You know what I mean? So, you know, just being a hundred. And so they're like, okay, you in politics. Well, what's up with this? And I get to be the person who can be honest with them and shoot it straight, you know, or guide them to wherever it is that they're needing resources at. I get to be, I get a chance to make a difference in their life, in those lives with a conversation. Right. You know, so when I, yes, I'm in a few schools on a regular basis every week, but, you know, while I may have my 14 here at this school that I know I'm going to see, it's that one who's lingering in the hallway that I may get to chop it up with. We can have a real kind of conversation and building those kind of bridges. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm most proud of when I see those bridges become built and I see traffic start to go across those bridges. You know, so, for example, we have every year we have our annual weekend of hope that was started with Casey family four years ago. And this past year was our fourth annual weekend of hope. And it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, September 22nd through the 24th. And on a Sunday, we ended up collaborating with a community member who wanted to feed, who wants to hand out 500 sack lunches to individuals impacted by homelessness. But the individual, he's a football coach, a youth league football coach. And so he had his players with him. So you have nine, 10, 11 year olds seeing the impact of giving back. Right. You know, based on the fact that I'm out here on a regular basis and my cohorts and my office out here on a regular basis saying anyone can be the one, hashtag be the one to make a difference in someone else's life. Mm-hmm. 
and you know knowing that people are listening and answering that bell in their own way and impacting the city and impacting their own blocks you know that that's that's what i like to see mm. So, Brandon, let me ask you, has your work or the way, and goes to the three of you, but I figured, Brandon, you're in a political space more so, right? So, has your work or the approach to your work shifted at all by choice or necessity with the most recent presidential election? I mean... Is that a touchy topic? Being all the way, <laughs> being all the way 100. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got media training. Being all the way 100, <laughs> he is not, that's not the president that I voted for at all. That's not the person that I would ever endorse. And so his politics, his policies do not reflect me. Rain, sleet, hell, or snow, I'm going to do in my community what I can do, regardless of who's the president, the vice president, the secretary of state, secretary of treasury, the mayor, the governor, lieutenant governor, the police chief. I don't view none of that as anything that affects me. I'm on an assignment by God because I'm in my place that I'm in because of God. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'm appointed by the mayor, yes, but I'm appointed by God first. Mm -hmm. So despite whoever is in leadership, it's not going to affect the way that I move negatively Mm -hmm. because I know ultimately whom that I serve and I know the people that I'm serving on purpose despite whatever policy is in place or ain't in place or is getting erased. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So he ain't got nothing to do with me or her. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he I can, love Brandon. Whatever he want to do, say, tweet, what he, whatever he want to tweet. I don't follow him on Twitter, first off, you know, but I have to remind people and community because vast majority of Americans, regardless of racial background or ethnicity or whatever, or socioeconomic status, majority of Americans do not, everyday Americans do not understand how the bureaucracy is the hierarchy of government is set up. So a lot of things that take place on the federal level, it may be two, sometimes three, four years before they trickle down to the local Mm -hmm. level. So it's really up to us voting for our local officials. Mm -hmm. And that gives us that much more power because local officials don't represent that many people. You know what I'm saying? So I always get to have those conversations with people as well. Like, yeah, we can be mad at 45 all we want to, but let's use that anger in a positive way, you know, in a productive way, I should say. Anybody else wanted to chime in on that? Yeah, I mean, I'll say for me, it it didn't necessarily change my work personally. But I mean, working Mm -hmm. in a nonprofit and in a nonprofit in Detroit that raises money, but also supports a number of organizations financially. I mean, we just know when government starts cutting back on their funding, that that's just the time for us to step up more and to be more, even more vigilant about the work that we're trying to do in the community and serving and supporting the community. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you both for the answer. Cause I was thinking the other day I was talking to one of my mentors and I was asking him, he's one of the people I can ask some of my challenging questions right. to. And um, I'll tell you all what I asked him is I remember being in school and hearing about what would happen if there was nuclear war? But I was like, is that the accurate? Is like, is that over? You know, because I've been feeling the stress, a little bit of pressure and kind of worry about what could possibly happen, mm-hmm. right? And I think our young people, you know, with lack of, maybe they don't speak about it, but I don't know if they think about it. I know I was thinking like, what would actually happen? Like if there was a nuclear bomb that went off, does that mean life is over? And I didn't even know the answer to that. And I didn't, and so talking to him yesterday, just kind of, I had the space to ask it. And I think what we do with our young people in our, in our program is 
They meet weekly with their mentor and they bring up the topics that are important to them. A lot of them are not bringing up things that have to do with 45. But I think that what's happening in our community with a lot of behaviors seems to be affected by how parents are talking about this stuff and how parents are either feeling stressors or feeling pressurized by what's happening in the world. And I, we're seeing it a lot in elementary schools. We're getting a lot of calls from elementary schools that their young men on the playground are being a little bit more, you know, talking a little bit more negative to each mm-hmm. other than before. And so we're just seeing it in just some small areas. And I don't really know how it's shown up in other ways that we, we're not seeing. But I think for our young men that we, we're going to begin having some more open conversations to let them voice any concerns they have. But I think that those are some things that I, I notice is that there's some unspoken tensions out there that we just got to give our young people a space to deal with in healthy ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and Brandon touched on this, you know, in addition to the federal level, we know that the changing of the political guard at the local and the regional levels, right, can impact the work that you guys are doing as underground leaders. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about experience and importance of both city and state stakeholders like yourself being part of that conversation. Yeah, well, I'll chime in. I think one of the things that keeps coming up for me about the work in Detroit is that Detroit is changing. So when I grew up in Detroit, I grew up in a time where you could walk around Detroit and for the most part, only see Black people. Mm -hmm. And so when I grew up, it's 85, 90% African-American. And our office now is currently downtown. And when I look outside my window, I do not see that reflected. And I often hear people in the community, in the neighborhoods, you know, neighborhoods where I live, the neighborhoods where my family lives saying, you know, Detroit is changing, but it's not for me. And what I have to say is, yes, it is. It's yours. This is our community. We were here when everybody left. We were here, you know, when the money left, when the jobs left and we didn't have any place else to go. We were here and this is our community. And this is our time to really say, this is what we value. This is what we bring to the table. And if this community is going to change, you know, we need to be a part of that change and we need to know and take a leap and take essentially take a risk and make your voice heard, make yourself known. And we have time. We have talent and resources and they may not necessarily all be financial, but we have things to offer. We have a flavor that we bring to this city that nobody else can bring. I mean, Detroit wouldn't be Motown without us. So we have a flavor to bring. And I don't think we should for lack of a better phrase, roll over and let our city be gentrified and taken over without a fight. Because it's not necessarily about taking over. But if we don't say anything, if we don't step up, then we will see ourselves disappearing from this city. And then where will we go? Mm -hmm. That's powerful. So Shanti touched on something a second ago, right? And I feel a sense of tension anytime the his name comes up because I can't even, I don't even want to say more than 45 right now, right? Because I don't like calling his name on a podcast to begin. But, you know, given the current sociopolitical climate, right? What's some of the resources that you guys have been able to draw on to be able to maintain your stamina and your vigilance? This is Brent. Is some of the resources to maintain vigilance against 45? Yeah, just the same. <laughs> Against the whole political climate, because 45 is just at the helm. But to me, the whole side of that party right now is just falling in line, right? And the climate is just one that's just very toxic right now. Like, how do you get through that? I'm in a peculiar situation because 
I work with a mayor in Greg Fisher who is very liberal in his beliefs Mm -hmm. and very much not a politician. He was an entrepreneur before he got to be the mayor. He was in business, you know, so his thing is how can we make something better and make a better product or make a better landscape for people? That's how he moves. That clearly isn't the case with 45. (laughs) So we're on the same page every day. You know, our governor in Kentucky, Matt Bevin, I can tell you where he came from, but he's here. We have low voter turnout and hey, you know, the state is reaping the, you know, the lack of benefits from him being around. So I had the chance to be around for that election. And we thought another fellow was going, you know, keep the Democratic thing going. Didn't work out that way. And so got to see the shift in, I don't want to say shift in focus, but shift in energy from seeing a loss that people thought were going to be a sure win. Basically how people just knew brother Bernie or sister Hillary was gone, went out and we saw how that turned out. So what keeps me going is knowing that I work with somebody who sees things the same way that I see them Mm -hmm. and not just him, but basically the whole cabinet. And Louisville is in a precarious place because Kentucky is a red state and Louisville is not so much red. Now, it's some buffoonery here, (laughs) but, you know, it's not a red city. You know, we're a blue city in a red state and administration is blue. We're really out for the betterment of, you know, all people, but particularly those who are suffering the most. So knowing that I have that at my disposal every day, you know, we give each other energy. I hear you, man. I live in a democratic state, but I'm on the outskirts of the country. <laughs> so mm. yeah, sometimes I'm not necessarily where I need to be. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but, you know, let's switch gears because, like I said, I can't do the political thing for too long without getting wound up. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about, right, is that each of you guys, as I read your bios, I found that the work that you guys have accepted is work that you're really passionate about. I almost saw you guys writing about your passion in your bios, and I love that, right? But just the same, I know that the work, even though it's work you're passionate about, is certainly not easy. It's not easy work to do. And... I'm curious to know, you know, what's been some of the most challenging experiences that you've each had on your journey? And maybe for you to share a little bit about what you learned about yourself through some of these challenges. Yeah, Stephen, thank you for that question. This is Ashanti. I find that right now, as Ever Forward has grown from just being a volunteer run, you know, me kind of doing all of the pieces to now um, hiring people, being responsible for a team, like a team that I have to actually raise money to pay. It's a whole nother world. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I find is, you know, the more I think about the next people I need to hire on my team, the more I realize that I'm getting farther away from the young people. Wow. Right. Like we run a, a mentoring program for young men. And so I started the program, but now I'm not really directly mentoring and I'm, I'm training the adults, right. preparing the trainings to train more adults, to work with more youth. And I'm trying to just figure a way to keep myself connected to the part of why I did this, started this work. And I think that's what I find the hardest right now. I spend more time with adults and I didn't get into this to work with adults, really, <laughs> you know. And so but I think that now that we're doing professional development for teachers, that's really important because we've got to help our teachers, help our young men. And so I just find that the challenge that I'm feeling like in these days is now, OK, if I want to have a bigger impact, I'm going to have to do d- bigger work. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of like setting that 
setting that expectation for my own self and, and realizing where the dream and the vision is and then holding on to the part that really helps me come alive too. So do you think as you grow and you're able to scale, is that something where you'd want to be able to pass the baton to someone to do the management work so that you're able to still remain on the front line in, in some capacity? Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. I think about that pretty regularly. So I can hear it in your you know, voice. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a big tension. It's a big tension. Like, you know, I never even wanted, when I became a teacher, I was, I never thought I was going to be a teacher. When I became an educator, I realized that's the work that I was put on earth to do. Mm. I don't feel like I'm the best at managing, right? I feel like if I can get in front of a group of youth and I can ask some really good questions, we can dig to the heart of what's going on with them. Right. Like that's what I feel really good at. And so I think it's like, but when you have a dream and you want to do bigger work, I think it's also the, it's a tension between like, how do I grow it if I don't grow it? Right. If I can just work with a group of young people right here in Oakland. And, but I think that if I want to have a bigger impact around the, the country, then I'm going to have to make some sacrifices too. And so I'm just feeling that right now as we're starting to grow. We've grown a lot in the last year. Got it. That's awesome, man. This is Rhonda. One of the challenges that I found, one is mindset. And said so I mentioned I work in Detroit. In Detroit, when it comes to education, probably one of the bottom cities for concentrated poverty, I think the highest rates of children living in concentrated poverty. And it's this mindset. And the thing that I find, that I often find, is that families and students are operating in survival mode in Detroit. And you don't know what it means to think about thriving and think about what would my life look like if I were thriving or what does it mean to thrive instead of just survive and be in this moment. And so trying to think about how we help, because my work is specifically with educators and schools in the district, how do we help them change the mindset of it's not that students don't want to learn, it's that they're not even in a place where they have the capacity to learn. I mean, our students face more before 9 a.m. than most adults face in a week. And so how do we help them, you know, thinking about that mindset and sometimes this idea that adults just think these students don't want to learn this generation, these young millennials, or I think the next generation, the current generation of high school students are kind of in the generation Z or the homeland generation, and they don't want to learn and they don't want to do anything. Yes, they do. It's just going to look different. And how do we meet them where they are instead of continuing to use these tactics from the 18th and 19th century, teaching in a framework that's, I mean, essentially built in the 20th century and for trying to prepare students for the 21st mm-hmm. century? Like, that's the challenge I face. Like, it, we're trying to prepare students and young people and especially our boys and men of color for things that don't even exist yet, for lives and work and careers that don't even exist yet. So why are we trying to keep them in a box? Yes, yes. You can take a trip to Finland. <laughs> I used to live in Europe. Um, and the thing about, it's so funny because people often, they bring up Finland and China and Japan, but there's a couple things. So one, Finland has pretty much no diversity and only about 4% of their population is in poverty. Uh-huh. And I think the other piece is that, and maybe not so much in Finland, but in other parts of the world, I think people often, you know, they see the numbers and compare, but those, that number isn't for every student. That's their top students they're comparing all of the United States to. And so we, in the United States, 
the wow. government said, we will provide you with an education. They didn't say anything about it being a good education. And so how do we help change the mm-hmm. mindset of people in our community to realize if you want your education, your community to look different, it's on you to figure it out because they're not going to give it to you. Mindset. Mindset. That's a very common theme in this podcast that over time I've realized the most successful people that have come on the show, that's a common thread that they have is their mindset. And it's interesting that you brought that up, you know, in your point just now. Brandon, anything to share before we shifted gears? Yeah, man. <laughs> we don't do no profanity on no, here, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> nah, the prolific amount of cognitive dissonance that just so happened to occurs conveniently for individuals that you work with from time to time across sectors Ooh, we you talk about a girl grinder right there. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, talk with somebody three, four months via email, text, phone, group me, whatever it is, and then you get to a decision point, and then it's like, okay, we still online, and then you get out in public somewhere, and they something totally, or in a meeting with some other folk, and they say something totally, totally different. Like y'all never had a conversation at all. Hey, man, if you want to see some smoke in the city. <laughs> That right there, hey, that's a button pusher. Because what it does for me as someone who's in community, I'm very transparent, as you can hear. And when I'm, I mean, obviously, I deal with sensitive stuff on a regular basis. So, you know, I know how to hold things close to the vest, so to speak. But when we're talking about doing something in the public or for the public or we got this great idea and I know I'm one of those people, I think of who can help first before I can think of, how exactly can we do this? And it'll be such a great idea. I'm thinking about, okay, who do I know? Who's in my network? What community members, what kids I know are into X, Y, Z that won't mind helping for free or for a meal. You see what I'm saying? And so when I'm out touching base with people throughout the city, you know, a few months time, and then somebody decides to act like we ain't been in agreement the last three or four months. Now I got to go back to these other folk who is excited about sharing their talents or, you know, being a part of some kind of change for that community. And that's a letdown because then I have to tell, you know, a single mom with two boys who, you know, have aspirations to make it out of their neighborhood as a police officer. Oh, we got to cancel this event where they was going to be around police officers in plain clothes, Mm. but they've been looking forward to it for two months. They done told their friends, their cousins was going to spend the night. Like, them was the kind of blows that I got to take from time to time, definitely more often than I would like to. And that's probably the most frustrating thing for me because it, it turns all that work into, you know, it becomes a negative because nothing come out of it. Yeah. So let's spin this, right? What are your hopes for the future of your public service work and the communities that you guys are impacting? Well, let me pick up on that. It's B in Louisville, y'all. <laughs> so to pick up where I left off, my hopes are that as other young leaders continue to emerge in my city and we share our work via social media and in the barbershops and beauty salons and, you know, on the way to social events and whatnot around the city. My hope is that people will see us and see us as being transparent and seeing that we don't have all of the power, but we're close enough to one another to where I maybe can't do something because of whatever stakeholders involved said no or changed their mind. 
But that doesn't mean that you, as the person who live on the street, that don't mean that you can't put together a black party guerrilla staff. <laughs> you see That's what I'm right. saying? You know, my hope is that community members who see and hear and sense our frustration can be like, you know what? Be what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And you just guide me in the right way. Because ultimately, like, you know, we talk about, Dr. Phyllis said this on call last week for the fellow. She said, we always talk about it takes mm. a village to raise a child, but who raises the village? Mm. And we have a village of community organizers in Louisville that are pounded day in, day out by silos and decision makers who ain't on the ground necessarily. But the decisions that they make for whatever, sometimes personal reasons, you know, that comes back on the people who's on the ground like myself. And so my hope to answer the question is that residents, neighbors, taxpayers, for crying out loud, parents, PTA, SBDM members will see all the work that we're doing. And when we have shortcomings, they'll see that, you know what, I got your back despite the shortcoming, you know. I got 20 members from my church ready to do whatever if they don't want to, you know, act right with you. We believe in this. You know, that's my hope. Right. Right. Yeah. This is Rhonda again. My hope is that our community will see the power that they have. I think very similar to what Brandon was saying. Our communities are filled with power. We are powerful beyond measure. And I think sometimes we act like or behave in a way that we don't know how powerful we are. And my hope is, right. you know, I, I fell into working in education. I never wanted to work in education. All I wanted to do in life was travel around the world and be Soledad O'Brien or something like that. <laughs> it's really all I wanted to be. But somehow or another, I fell into education because I was always interested in the state of our communities and how do we change it and how do we get there? And educating ourselves, and I'm not talking about everybody going to college, but educating ourselves so that we are confident in our power and our ability to make change and make our communities look the way we want them to look. And I think the other hope is that, as you know, Brandon mentioned, folks in the community out here hustling instead of grinding, so to speak, to do good work. How are they working together and how are they taking care of themselves and strengthening themselves to be able to continue the fight? Mm, Those are awesome folks. So I have a belief that in the work that we're doing ever forward, well, I have a hope that we find a way to allow young men and men the space to deal with some of these things that society doesn't let us deal with. You know, what we see is our young men learn at a very early age how to shut their feelings away, how to shut their emotions down, and they, they kind of live behind this mask of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we are needing to help them to feel, they don't believe that anyone can help them and, and accept them if they had a feeling or if they had an emotion. And I think that that is why our prisons are 93% men. Mm-hmm. It's because we've taught men when they were boys not to feel, and then they can... We wonder why they can do just these amazing, well, these horrific behaviors when they become adults or when they become teenagers because we've shut down this feeling of ability for them. And so I just hope that through the work we're doing with Ever Forward, but also with this 100,000 mass challenge that we can give, we can wake people up. We can wake parents up. We can wake teachers up. We can wake community up. We can wake people around the world up to the idea that humans feel and human doesn't have a gender. 
And feeling doesn't have a gender. And so the more that we can just accept each other more and ask each other better questions and care more, I think that we can do amazing things in this world. And so that's what I'm hoping. Ashanti, you said something um, that made me think about the freedom to be vulnerable. Like that just keeps coming up to me. And I think about one of our fellow fellows who always talks about freedom and really being free. And what does it mean to be what does it really mean to be free? And I think, Shani, what you touched on about the ability to be vulnerable and to show feelings and to show emotion is not a sign of weakness, but really a sign of strength. And how do we move past that and sort of step into yeah, that freedom absolutely. to be who we are? For those that are maybe listening, and guys, I have to say, I appreciate all of this amazing feedback. I'm listening to you guys. And and unfortunately, we're kind of getting close to the hour. But for those listening and those that maybe are interested in learning more about the work that you guys are doing, and maybe there are many people who are trailblazers themselves and always looking for ways to grow as leaders. Are there any books that you guys are reading right now that you'd like to share with others that are listening? Oh, yeah, I have two. Now, I will say, actually three, I will say you may have to bleep the title of one out. Um, (laughs) But there are two books. I recently was introduced to the Arbinger Institute, and they have a book called Leadership and Self-Deception, as well as a book called The Outward Mindset that have just blown my mind about how I work and what it means to be a leader and what it means to be successful in working with other Mm. people. The other one is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a by Mark Manson. You'll have to bleep that one out. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's been really interesting in thinking about what it's helped me do is think about what are my values and how do I live in my values and live up to the things that are most important to me on a daily basis and infuse those into my work. Definitely know what those guys wanted to share. Any others? Yeah. No. (laughs) 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 love it it. (laughs) (laughs) so going back to the institute at ccl in greensboro Rhonda and i were in the same section she was a couple points further than me in the originator clique and we're the ones who see the boundaries and then are like, yeah, but do the boundaries really matter? So, you know, we're, we're creatives at heart and expressionists. So my current thing that I'm reading around leadership is more so, again, getting back to sharpening my toolkit. It's a Christian devotional. That's, it's only about a few days long. I've read it before, but I'll come back to it again. And its title is Called to Create. And it's Basically, a collection of stories or writings, if you will, by C.S. Lewis, Arthur Guinness, who's the founder of Guinness Beer, the beverage, ah. and J.R.R. Tolkien and Casper Tim Boom. And so it's basically talking about, you know, highlighting a few individuals throughout the last century, century and a half who took their leadership skills and, you know, said, you know, to hell with a, a so-called quadrant plan to go off of that maybe Stephen Covey would talk about. I have this God-given creativity and I'm going to be really passionate about it, really outspoken about it and tell people what my standards are so that I have two realms holding me to my standards, myself and others. And I'm so passionate about this idea, about this process, about this thing 
I'm going to draw other people to me. And the ones who are turned off are the ones who I don't want on my team to begin with. So, again, in the world that we're in, the post 45 election era, you know, we've been seeing a whole lot of people say things that they wasn't saying, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half ago <laughs> and tweeting and, you know, putting out a whole lot of things that they were not doing a year and a half ago. So for myself as a creative who's in the work, I want to be around. I get energy from other creators. I get energy from people who think on a similar wavelength that I think. And I think it's perfect. I just get energy from it. And so to help me with my leadership, because creatives ain't for everybody. Okay, we'll drive a lawyer crazy. We'll drive a math teacher insane. You know, it's, it's, I probably had the most referrals in my high school. But, but but look at God. But, you know, if I'm not being creative, I'm not being real with myself. That's right. If I'm somewhere trying to do a S and what's it called? An S&P plan or whatever in finance, whatever it's called. I'm being real fake. I'm going to be real stank. I'm going to have an attitude. But if I'm me and I'm free, as our sister Monique Listen mm-hmm. says in Milwaukee, who's in a fellowship, if I'm being me, other people are going to be drawn to my energy. They're going to be drawn to the movement that I believe in about making a better world, a better Louisville for black men and young black men and boys. Mm-hmm. You know, so really I'm being 100 with myself. And the byproduct of that is drawing others to me that help hold me accountable to what I say I'm about. Nice. Steven, can I add one? I, oh, I a, yeah. he came back with a book, guys. <laughs> so, you know, I, I used to hate reading, but now I absolutely love reading. And I just I just didn't have it all. My brain just had a freeze. But I'm going to tell you these books in the order that I read them and they've been really powerful for me. So one of my books that I read almost once a year is The Alchemist. Yeah. And yeah. And I've not been on. able to get through it. <laughs> oh, man. Right on. Well, hopefully, you know, one day you pick it up again. It, when I first got the book, I lost it. So I didn't finish it the first time. And then I remember when I found the book again, I was like, what was the name of that book? And when I found it, I've been reading it every year since around 2002. Wow. Every year I read it, it, it says something different. And I think mm. it, it is what helped me leave engineering to become a teacher. Wow. Because I, because I think I was stuck in trying to make money and be rich and famous. And, and when I, I was afraid to fall into my own personal legend. I was afraid to be like, I'm supposed to be a teacher. Teachers don't make money. Right. But I, I was afraid to be what I think I was supposed to be because I was trying to fit what people told me I should be and how much right. money I should make. So that's the one. And then two other books that have just been really powerful for me in the last couple of years. Ta-Nehisi Coates book, Between the World and Me. This has been a powerful hearing him speak words. He writes incredibly just about our black bodies and just how we have to navigate the world and, and kind of sometimes in worry. That's been really powerful. And then the, one of the books for educators is called uh, For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood. And that's by Chris Emden. And those are the three that I think just right now are, you know, have been really standing out in my work. Thanks for sharing that, guys. Thank you. Writing these titles Thank down you. is good, good books. Listen, I appreciate all three. Uh, panel calls are always conversations I enjoy. They stretch me quite a bit because it's not something I'm accustomed to. And having three different people on and you're all amazing in your own right and have your different vantage points and views. And I just love the conversation. I really appreciate all three of you being here tonight. Last question before we wrapped up. It's one to ask all our trailblazers coming off a call, right? And the question is this. What's one action that our community of trailblazers should take this week to help them blaze their trail? I'm going to start with that one. I would say self-care. 
Like take care of yourself. Yes. If it's taking yes. five minutes, 10 minutes, two minutes or an hour, but do something for yourself. And I think this was something I took away from the fellowship. Like you can't be awesome and you can't do great things. I mean, you can, but if you take care of yourself, you can do even more. So if you're operating at your best, mm-hmm. you can do even more than what you're already doing. So do something to take care of yourself yes. this week. That's awesome. And that's the lesson I got to learn constantly. So thank you, Rhonda. It's <laughs> a reminder for myself. So one thing I would say is to trailblaze and to be a trailblazer, I would offer them a quote from Howard Thurman that says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. And so I would offer them to find what makes them come alive. Love it. In the words of the great American (laughs) philosopher, Rick Ross, (laughs) (laughs) I came alive like a moth in the summertime. So people have to figure out what their summertime is. In other words, what is your original inspiration as to why you became a trailblazer in the first place? Mm. We have to remind ourselves of that a lot of times because it's called the struggle for a reason. And we have to count our wins, count our blessings, count our allies. Remember our, our allies. And but more importantly, remember our inspirations from time to time. So I have two names. One is my brother, Brandon, who's in penitentiary. And yeah, my brother, Brandon, who's in the penitentiary. Long story. We ain't got enough time for that. And the other is my cousin, Cameron, who was my baby cousin, Cameron, who was executed in January of this year. And so, you know, me and my brother, we didn't grow up together. I went to his sentencing in March of this year, I want to say. And his lawyer said that, first off, we met each other three years ago. He's seven years younger than me. His lawyer told me that if I would have been in his life, you know, even five years ago, he would have went down a completely different path. You know, when he first was incarcerated, he went to jail when he was like 14 and got out of 18 and went right back at 18 and like 18 and a half. And so my cousin Cameron, the two weeks before he passed away, he was killed. I asked him, you know, how he was doing. He was about to turn 19, actually. Just graduated high school last spring, like as in 2016. And, you know, living life, working, but he had a an alternative life that, you know, I didn't know about. Mm. And that ultimately was the reason why he's not not here anymore. And so knowing that it's other brands and other cameras that I can get out in touch, that's what keep me going. So what's the action item in it? That Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. The action item is sit down, put on the refrigerator, put in your phone, put on wherever your steering wheel, the names of those who inspire you, mm-hmm. those who are your inspirations for why you got into work in the first place. Mm-hmm. For me, it's my little brother and uh, now my little cousin, unfortunately. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Brandon. Yeah, no doubt. Listen, guys, I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for being our guests and can't wait to hear this live. I'm looking forward. Brandon, I'm going to be in Louisville, man, on the week that this comes live for Rumble. I'm hoping that uh, yeah. I'll be there and hoping that I get a chance to meet you. I hope I yeah. get a chance to meet all three of you and look forward to you're now part of the Trailblazer family. So hope that way this is the beginning of a lifetime friendship and relationship between all, all four of us. I'll be at Rumble, so <laughs> right. I'm looking Absolutely. forward to meeting you here as well. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank awesome. You and I'll be at Rumble too. Awesome. Awesome. So guess what? That's the week that this episode goes live. So we get to celebrate together. Nice. That's dope. All right. 
Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.